Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, California Mayor Bill Wells on the problem of homelessness in his city and what he's doing to address it. It is probably the most vilified program in the county because it does um, require you to to go to chapel. It it requires you to learn about God. It doesn't require you to be converted, but you have to learn about it. Most political people in the the county would much rather spend uh, 10 times the amount of money on a program that works uh, one hundredth as well, but didn't have any mention of God. That That's more palatable to them than, than this program. That's Bill Wells coming up next. Granted, California is the most populous state in the nation, but World Magazine reports it also has by far the most homeless people on its streets, over 171,000. The next closest state is New York with about 74,000 homeless people. Today we talk with El Cajon, California's Christian Mayor, Bill Wells, who has some definite ideas of how to address homelessness in his city. However, he's found his views countered by the governmental powers that be. World Magazine's written about what Mayor Bill Wells is doing. Bill, tell us about your city of El Cajon, California, and then how you, as a clinical psychologist, got into city politics. The city of El Cajon is just a little bit east of San Diego. If you're familiar with where San Diego State is, we're about five miles to the east of San Diego State, so just right on the outskirts of San Diego proper. Um, About 100,000 people live in the city of El Cajon. Uh, We're kind of a bedroom community. Uh, It's... um, The East County tends to attract um, a different kind of person than the average person in San Diego, certainly more conservative, um, much more uh, faith-based. We have, I think, five megachurches in uh, El Cajon, which for a city of 100,000 is is quite a few. It's an interesting city because there's a real dichotomy between, um, in some areas, a tremendous amount of wealth. Some of the more expensive areas in the city or in the county are in the outskirts of El Cajon, big ranch style houses, lots of land, horses, and uh, rural kind of uh, community. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the city, um, there's actually a, a, a lot of poverty. Uh, we have back in the 50s and 60s, the city council wanted the city to grow very quickly. So they allowed a lot of apartments to come into El Cajon. They didn't have a lot of high building standards. They just wanted people to come here and move here. And um, you know, so that created a, a different kind of environment. We have a, a lot of low-income housing, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It, you know, people have to live somewhere. It just mm-hmm. it gives it gives the city kind of a, a of a unique flavor and gives us uh, you know unique problems. Uh, we're, so we're we're kind of a busy city. We're, like our fire department is one of the uh, calls per capita, one of the busiest fire departments in the nation. Um, we have an excellent police department. We have a kind of an interesting. Uh, mix of people that live here uh, for reasons that I can't completely understand. Um, we are the third largest concentration of Chaldeans in the world. So Chaldeans are Iraqi Christians and they um, use a Catholic. And so the largest concentration is in Baghdad and the second is Detroit and the third is El Cajon. Mm. And uh, they've actually been really great neighbors. And um, I've had to learn a lot about Middle Eastern culture uh, they speak Arabic, and they're now a huge demographic in the city of El Cajon. So I've uh, I've learned things that I never would have thought I would have learned by being being married, made a lot of new friends. So that's it's kind of a neat neat thing. Um, well, you were going to say how you became mayor. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I became mayor kind of uh, une- unexpectedly. Um, 
when I first graduated from San Diego State, um, I decided I didn't want to take a job. So I became a, a, a musician. I was a musician. I be, became a professional musician. And mm. I did that for uh, several years, traveling around the country, I ended up in Hollywood. And uh, eventually, you know, mm. realized that, that wasn't going to be a, a way that I could uh, have a family and buy a home. And so I, I thought, well, you know, maybe if I became an RN at that time, it was uh, very popular to thing to do if you wanted to make money pretty quickly. And I thought it would be work out well with my life as a musician. So I started off doing that and fell into psychiatry and psychiatric medicine, really liked it. So I went back and got my doctorate in clinical psychology, got married. And that took me in directions I never expected. I uh, did some administrative work for the hospitals I worked for. One of the jobs I had was to be the government representative. So I ended up going to Sacramento fairly often and advocating for the hospital with our, our assembly people and our state senators. And so I was kind of got involved in government at that point. And, you know, it's funny, I was really naive when I first got started. I thought when I first met these assembly people and Congress people, that they would be the smartest, most in, intelligent, uh, intimidating people in the world because they would be so high above me in, in, in all ways. And uh, what I found out was that they're very average. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them, some of them were pretty bright. Some of them were actually far below that bar. And, but it kind of took the, took the intimidation factor off that for me. And I started mm -hmm. thinking maybe I could, could do this. And eventually I had an opportunity. I think like most people, um, I got into my late thirties and I said, you know, I don't like the way the country's going. Maybe I could uh, go to the Republican party and offer up my services. Maybe I could uh, stuff envelopes or work on a campaign or, help raise money or do something like that. And they said, oh, you need to run for office. And I thought, oh, you've got the wrong guy. They've got, obviously, somebody smarter and better than me. And they said, no, we, we think you shouldn't. Long story short, I ended up becoming a city council member. And um, about six years into being a city council member, the mayor of my city had some problems and had to resign. And so then I was tapped to fill out his last year and a half um, and then ran for mayor, and I've been uh, mayor since 2013. Mm. As we move now to talk about homelessness in El Cajon, in California, maybe it'd be a good idea to define what is homelessness? How do you define it? And I think that's one of the big problems that we have with homelessness is a definition of terms and definition of causes. And I think if you were to ask me what the biggest problem with homelessness is, is that there's a big difference between what the left and the right, conservatives versus liberals, uh, feel is the causation of homelessness. And as a result, especially in California, because the the left side of the aisle has all the power and hence all the money. And so they, they set all the policy of how that money is spent. Uh, I think they've been chasing a problem that really doesn't exist and spending billions and billions of dollars trying to solve a problem that is not really the problem. And, you know, the analogy I would give would be if you went to the pick your car into the uh, auto shop and you said, I'd like to get it fixed. And they say, well, we think it's the starter. And you say, oh, no, no, it's definitely not the starter. It's the muffler. And they said, well, I I'm sorry, sir, but your your starter's not working. We got to replace the starter. No, nope, my money, I, I want to spend it on the muffler. Don't waste my time spending it on a starter. And then I'm surprised when they put a brand new muffler on my car and it doesn't work. Mm. And I think that's what's happened to us with, with homelessness. Um, and we can get into what those, what those uh, problems really are. Uh, 
But uh, you also asked me, what is the definition of homelessness? Mm. I, I think that the the modern leftist definition would go something like this. It would say, uh, because of a lack of housing, uh, because of economic problems, because people have lost their jobs or because they've had a, uh, an illness of the family or, or some setback, um, they no longer can meet the income threshold needed to keep themselves housed. And that's why people are homeless. And um, I would define it differently. I, I would define homelessness as the state in which we have allowed people who have decided not to engage in society in the traditional way and that they've decided to spend their lives chasing after drugs and alcohol and as a result have spent every penny they have on that and don't want to waste any money on housing and homelessness as you know as a result or uh because of our policies we've made it so easy to do that and so uh non-stigmatized that uh that's this is why we have homelessness well, my guest today on His People is uh, Dr. Bill Wells. He is a clinical psychologist and also mayor of El Cajon, California. We're talking about homelessness there as well as throughout the state of California. And uh, you, you write in uh, World Magazine, uh, Bill, that uh, last September you noticed a big, a sudden influx of, of homeless individuals into <clears throat> your community, particularly yeah. in uh, some of the, the less expensive hotels. Uh, and, of course, it caught you off guard, caught the community off guard. Tell us uh, what happened. Well, first off, you have to tell you that homelessness has been a problem in El Cajon for the past 20, 25 years, just like every city in California. And, of course, it's gotten progressively worse. Um, so the really the crescendo has been in the last five years where if we didn't do anything to stop it, homelessness would be on every street. Um, all up and down our streets, like it is in parts of San Diego, Sacramento, Los Angeles, mm. San Francisco. Um, we don't allow tents on the street in El Cajon. We don't allow camping on the streets in El Cajon, which has been a, uh, an area of consternation to the left. And I get threatened to be sued almost a, you know, once a week mm. because of that. But we have the law on our side. So we felt like we had homelessness fairly under control. And, and when I say that, you know, we're not just tough on homelessness. We also provide a lot of uh, treatment opportunities. You know, we have three homeless shelters in El Cajon. We spend more per capita on, El Cajon, on homelessness in El Cajon than any other city in the jurisdiction. And so we have a two-pronged approach. One is a lot of enforcement. So you can't sleep on the streets. You can't uh, have tents on the streets, but a lot of opportunity to get off the streets and get help. And as a result, we've gotten a lot of people off the streets and, and we had the situation about as well under control as we could. There was a, there, there were always several hundred people that just refused to get off the streets and, and we're kind of just chasing them around the city. And as a result, we know all their names and we know all their faces. We, my police tell me that they've approached every one of those homeless people probably a dozen times or more, hmm. offered them chances to get off the street, but they just don't want to do it. But then we started noticing a lot of new faces on the streets, people we had never seen before. And that was concerning. And when we did some more investigation, we found out that the county of San Diego had launched a new homeless voucher program where they're basically paying hotels $140 per day per resident to stay, to have homeless people stay at their hotel. And that was concerning enough, but we thought, wow, this must be a massive program because we're seeing 
lots and lots of people on the streets. And, you know, San Diego County is three and a half million people. And what we found out, though, was much to our surprise that the county of San Diego had kind of quietly uh, filled up one of our hotels 100% with homeless people, uh, several others, 75%, a few others, 50%. And that this program, about 54% of the people in this program were residing in hotels in El Cajon. Now, our city only makes up about 3% of the population. So it seemed disproportionate Mm -hmm. that we had so many people. So, of course, we called the county and say, what's going on? And the county said, we're not going to talk to you about this. We're not going to answer your phone calls. We're not going to have a meeting. We're not going to have a dialogue. Just live with it. It's, you know, what we're doing is legal. You can't do anything about it. Hmm. So then I went to the press and I said, you know what? This is proportionately wrong. Um, I don't agree with the housing first model anyway. The housing first being the the idea that if you give people a, a house that it all the problems are going to go away. If you take them off the street and put them in a hotel room, they're going to be fine. Well, that's not the case. Uh, these people are still uh, have legal problems. They still have drug and alcohol problems. They oftentimes have mental illness problems, and these are not being addressed. And so those problems still per- uh, perpetuate themselves in the city. Um, but we said, you know, if you're going to do this, number one, you should tell us first. And number two, it should be uh, evenly distributed throughout the county. So if alcohol has... of the population of the county, we should probably have 3% of the people in this program, not 45%. And of course, I asked uh, kind of rhetorically the question of, well, how many people in the beautiful areas of Solana Beach and Encinitas and Del Mar and La Jolla and Coronado uh, were staying in, in these nice areas? And of course, I got crickets for that. Nobody wanted to answer that question because, of course, there's nobody staying in these hotels. And then they came back and said, well, the reason they can't stay in those hotels is because those hotels won't sign up for the program because they they rent their hotel rooms out for three or $400 a night, and we can only offer them $140 a night. And so, you know, it's not our fault. And, I, and my answer to that was, oh, wait a second. If, you, if you're going to have a program, it, it, you, you talk a lot about equity. This is not following any kind of idea about equity. Um, so if it's going to be equitable, then make it equitable. Do whatever you have to do. If you have to pay La Jolla hotels more than El Cajon hotels, then so be it. But that, the fact that that you don't want to pay more is not my problem. It certainly doesn't give you license to come and dump all your homeless problems from the entire county into my city and turn my city into a, a homeless ghetto. You believe California actually, and you've kind of given us a bit of a foundation for this, actually encourages homelessness in other words people relocate to california specifically to be homeless because of what a what a great destination it is for that lifestyle yeah i started noticing this about 10 15 years ago working in the emergency rooms i for many years i worked in the emergency room i did psychiatric evaluations and um i as a result i would see a lot of homeless people and you know, in my interview of people, I'd say, well, where are you from? When's the last time you were in a hospital? I'd say, oh, I was in a hospital in Kentucky a month ago. I said, so Kentucky, are you from Kentucky? Yeah. Well, why are you here? What is, oh, well, the benefits are great here. Hmm. And I heard that over and over and over again. So I started asking police officers and uh, firefighters and uh, paramedics. I said, you know, what's your experience with this? They said, oh, yeah, people, we, we run into people with out-of-state driver's licenses and all the time. They, they come here for the benefits. You know, so I started looking into it. And what I found was that of all the homeless people in America, there are 161,000 
that the federal government says are on the streets of California. I think it's probably twice that, but mm. the federal government says that's 161,000. They say that the next closest state would be a tie between New York and Texas, which each have about 25,000 people. And then most other states are somewhere between six and 10,000 people. I think Nevada is probably around 10,000 people that are homeless in the state of Nevada. And people throw up lots of reasons. They say, oh, well, the, the weather's good in California. Well, the weather's good in Hawaii, but there's only about 6,000 people that are homeless in Hawaii. And the weather's actually pretty good in, in Nevada and in Arizona. It's comparable to California. And the, the numbers aren't the same. So what's the difference? Well, the difference is the laws. We have our legislature has set forth a series of laws that have made it incredibly easy to be homeless. Um, so I'll give you some examples. Mm -hmm. In California, we can't arrest people for stealing. You can steal up to $950 worth of merchandise a day, and all we can do is give you a ticket. And of course, if we go to you and say, What's your name? and they say, Well, it's John Doe, and I don't have any, um, any ID, we have to accept that. And we just give you a ticket. Of course, that ticket goes right in the trash can. So when you hear about all these gangs of people throughout um, San Francisco, they're going in and stealing mm-hmm. massive amounts of, uh, of merchandise from the Apple store, from the Rite Aids. From the, they, they're taking advantage of those laws as you can steal up to $950 a day. So our homeless folks, they'll go right into the 7-Eleven. They'll take whatever they want. They'll take coffee. They'll take something to eat for the day, maybe a, a six-pack of beer. And they'll go out and they'll sit right in front of the store and, and, and drink it. And the, you know, the angry 7-Eleven owners will come out and scream at them and say, yeah, call the cops. I don't care. And of course our police officers can't do anything, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. You, you're also allowed to sell drugs in public, use drugs in public. For example, here's one of the laws I think is really insidious. If our police officer sees somebody um, that's on the street with a shopping cart, a target shopping cart filled with things, and we go do a run a check on them. We have to arrest them because they've got an outstanding warrant, which most of these guys do. Our police officers know that if they do that by state law, we have to take that shopping cart in and inventory every gum wrapper and, and piece of trash and everything because it, it's their property. Even if it's an old Gatorade bottle, it's their property. We have to inventory, tag it, bag it, check it into evidence, store it for up to six months so that people can come back and get their get their stuff. And of course, that's a chilling effect on police officers from doing that. They don't want to spend eight hours off the street going through this guy's uh, trash. And so they'll, they'll just generally ignore that person. But then California went as far as to uh, change the definition of crime. So things that used to be serious and violent crimes are now non-serious, non-violent, non-felony crimes. And as a result, they were able to close two full prisons in California. And this is a result of uh, two propositions. One is 57 and one is 47. And, you know, and examples of this, like it used to be, and I, I think it would, it should be illegal for somebody to have sex with a unconscious person. So, you know, if you, if you, found yourself in circumstances with somebody who was unconscious and you had sex with them, then you would be charged with rape. Now it's, it's a misdemeanor. It's, it's, it's no longer considered a a serious crime. Uh, Being involved in a drive-by shooting is no longer a felony. Hmm. Um, So, you know, when people call me up and say, well, they're, they're urinating on the sidewalk. Can't you arrest them for that? Oh, I mean, 
I, I can't arrest them for raping somebody, let alone urinating on the sidewalk. And they can they can sell drugs openly. They can have drug paraphernalia on them openly. Um, the, the legislature has basically decriminalized crime. And so here comes the harder question is why? Why, why would any yeah. thinking person do something like mm-hmm. that? And, you know, that, that's a harder one to they, they say they do it because um, of racism. They, they, they say that because African-American men are predominantly the people that are being charged with crimes that are they're in the criminal system. If so facto, it makes that uh, charging people with crime a racist uh, process. And so the best way to get rid of the racism aspect of society is to get rid of the, the punishment for crime. Uh, I think I think that's an excuse. I think that um, there is an element not, and I want to be clear about this. Not all Democrats. I have Democrats in my family. My wife's uh, uh, comes from the Midwest, where there's uh, you know lots of uh, auto factory union Democrat types, mm-hmm. and they're good folks. And I think they want the best for themselves and for their families in the country. But the the hardcore, the hardcore leftists, the the really radical woke. Uh, element that oftentimes gravitates to California, they, I think they want a complete destruction of society. I think they want to tear society down to its studs and rebuild it in a communist utopic idea. It's my opinion. Well, Bill, let me ask you this, and I haven't asked you this to this point, but how does your Christian faith, your belief in the scriptures, guide your approach to homelessness? Well, you know, I think that all revolves around the word, word compassion. And, you know, one of the things I think is really interesting is, and it, as a Christian, I, I bet you can relate to this. You ever have the the, the situation where um, a non-Christian will tell you what you should be doing as a Christian because Jesus would have done that, right? So I, I remember somebody, you know, when I was fighting against mask mandates, somebody said, oh, Jesus would, de- if he was here, he would definitely wear a mask and definitely tell you to wear a mask. I thought, no, Jesus went out and hang out, hung out with the lepers and, you know, he he didn't worry about them being unclean. I, he's definitely not the not the guy who's going to be worried about masks at this point. But, you know, they, they just don't know, but they, they like to throw that out there. So when we're talking about homelessness, people oftentimes say that they're being compassionate and that I'm not compassionate because, because my philosophy is uh, basically punishing homelessness and, and criminalizing poverty. And, you know, again, that takes us back to the, the main problem is that they think that homelessness is due to, to being poor. And I think homelessness, I know 100% know that homelessness is almost always tied to drugs and alcohol and sometimes mental illness, but usually those two things go hand in hand. So when people say that by me wanting to to be tough on people for not following the rules of society, for me wanting to say, hey, I'm I'm happy to give you treatment if you need treatment. I'm happy to help you through this valley that you're in, but I'm not going to let you just run roughshod. I'm not going to let you sleep on the streets. I'm not going to let you set up tents. This is where people live. And you know, there, there are some rules that we have in society. And uh, people will say I'm being non-compassionate mm-hmm. as a result. You know, I, I, I remember I got called in front of a, a grand jury once. They were just all up in arms because I wouldn't open up my parks to homeless encampments. And I said, well, the parks aren't for the homeless. The, the parks are for kids. The kids have to have a place to go play. And, and they, they just thought I was so uncompassionate. So my idea of compassion is to not allow people to sleep in the cold 
in filth, where they're going to get hepatitis, where they're going to get raped, where they're going to get robbed, they're going to get stabbed, where they're going to die of all kinds of overdoses, and you know, just and to and to let their their body and soul be rotted by excessive drug and alcohol abuse. That's not compassionate. As a Christian, I can't imagine that Jesus would want me to look at those people and say, well, they're doing their own thing. Let it, let them do it. And I think if I look at Christ, I look at Christ as a very confrontive person at, at times, you know, very much say, say, Hey, you know what? I love you, but you're not behaving well. Your, your, your behavior is bad for you and it's bad for the people around you. And, I love you enough to tell you. And so that's my, that's how I look at it. Somewhat of a complex uh, a problem, obviously. And it, there isn't necessarily one solution, but there are two, you've kind of described two very different approaches based upon the believed causes of it. Is there a solution, though? Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> I, I don't want to get hate mail for this, so I'm, this is tongue-in-cheek. I'm joking about this. But if you were to make me king, you know, for a while, I could solve the homeless problem. It's not that hard. Uh, basically, you change the laws so so that you can um, give people a choice, either get treatment and get off the street or get incarcerated and get off the street. But you're not going to stay on the street. Mm-hmm. Just not. And, um, you know, you can you can have all kinds of, of solutions in between those two solutions. You know, maybe solutions where you're um, – in a dorm type facility and you're working during the day. But in my mind, all of those solutions would be forcing people to give up drug and alcohol use, because as long as you're, you're, you're devoting your life to drug and alcohol abuse, um, you will not do what it takes to take care of yourself, to get your life to a point where you can actually be self-sufficient. You just can't. I would have to say you are not allowed to be, an addict. You're going to be court ordered that you're no longer going to be an addict. And that means we'll, we'll offer you treatment. And if you can stay in treatment, great. But if you refuse to stay in treatment and you refuse to, to work the program, you're eventually going to be incarcerated. And we'll put you, we'll put you in some kind of incarceration. It doesn't have to be a state prison, mm-hmm. but maybe a state hospital where we're going to dry you out for two, three, four years until you get to a point where you say, I think I can do it without I think I've lived without drugs and alcohol long enough that I'd like to go into a lower level, less restrictive program. So we would have to have the political will to do those kind of really, really difficult things. But if we did that, and frankly, we're willing to put several trillion dollars into the program because that's what it would cost. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, we could we could solve this problem. I mean, we didn't really have this problem when when you and I were kids, right? I mean, you, you saw a little bit of it, but I mean, you could- Not you much. Could, you could walk down the streets of San Francisco. You could walk down the streets of, of downtown San Diego. You could walk down the streets of downtown LA and not be tripping over feces and drug addicts and bombs everywhere. So it's, we, at least at one point in our society, not too long ago, were better at controlling it than we are now. And, and it, my understanding too, uh, Bill, is that in uh, El Cajon, there are, in terms of the services offered to the homeless, a number of them are Christian oriented. In other words, uh, realizing that, that that transformation of life that that Jesus brings ultimately will change people's lives, but they have to. I guess they have to hear about it first. Yeah. So our, we probably have the most innovative program in the county. Uh, it certainly has the highest rate of success. It's called the East County Transitional Living Center. It's not government based. Um, we uh, I was involved in the starting of that 25 years ago. Basically, um, some Christian businessmen got together, bought an old hotel. 
got money donated from all the philanthropic Christians in the community and uh, put enough money together so they can get people off the streets and teach them about Christ. Um, for those who stay in the program, it's about an 80% success rate, uh, unbelievable success rate. Um, but you have to mm -hmm. work the program. Um, of course, it is probably the most vilified program in the county because it does um, require you to to go to chapel. It, it requires you to learn about God. Yeah. It doesn't require you to be converted, but you have to learn about it. Most political people in the in the county would much rather spend uh, 10 times the amount of money on a program that works uh, one hundredth as well, but didn't have any mention of God. That That's more palatable to them than, than this program. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Bill Wells, mayor of El Cajon, California. You can read World Magazine's piece on him titled Hotel California by going to WNG.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Ken Boa and here Jenny Abel on navigating transitions in our lives with purpose and hope. Life is short and, you know, I'm in my early 40s, but it's amazing how life just starts to sort of pass you by. And I would just say, don't wait. You know, even if you're in your 20s and 30s, don't wait. Start asking, you know, what am I spending my time on? Am I doing, am I spending my life on something that really counts? That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.